Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. My name is Seth Everett. This is episode 424. Our thanks to Darren McKee for last week's podcast. That was great. And this week, we have another special treat. It was a confluence of events that led to this week's podcast. Anyone who knows me and knows my history knows my allegiance to my alma mater, Syracuse University. I also teach a course there, ironically, about podcasting, but we can talk about that another time. And I am a loyal supporter. I root for the sports teams. Recently, Syracuse had its big alumni weekend. And for a number of years, I go to that. This year, I couldn't. I witnessed via streaming a presentation that they had that I thought was really fascinating. We had just published the Michael Phelps, Naomi Osaka podcast on sports and mental health. And the feedback from that was really, really strong. It took place between iconic, legendary broadcaster Bob Costas, who's been on this podcast, and the Hall of Fame recently retired basketball coach for the Syracuse Orange, Jim Behunt, who has not been on this podcast. And the conversation was riveting. So the next step for me was to reach out to some of the folks in the alumni department, namely a buddy of mine named Chris Filardi. I talked to some other Syracuse alums about the idea. How can we spread the word about what Syracuse basketball is doing right now, the future, the legacy, and how big this university is? And then I found out that Bob Costas and Jim Beheim are actually going on tour. There are going to be three separate speaking events like the one you're going to hear today. The first one takes place in New York City the night before Syracuse plays Pittsburgh, November 10th, at Yankee Stadium of all places. There's a big Syracuse, New York weekend, a lot of events planned for students and alums, and Bob Costas actually can't be at that one, so Adam Shine, yes, Adam Shine, future Sports with Friends guest, he's a good dude. Adam Shine is going to host the event in New York City, and the link to get tickets to that is in the show notes. And then if you're listening in California, Bob Costas and Jim Beheim will be in San Francisco on November 15th and then Los Angeles on November 18th. And the same link that you found for New York will be the link when it's available for San Francisco and L.A. And so there was an idea. It's a chance to hear a legendary broadcaster, but it's a chance to hear the head coach, Jim Beheim in a new light. It is also week five in the National Football League, and we will be joined by the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow, to break down all the key matchups, and there's a couple of doozies. Currently, Jim Beheim is the special assistant to the athletic director. From 1976 until 2023, he was the head coach of the Syracuse Orange men's team. He guided the Orange to 10 Big East Conference regular season championships, five Big East tournament championships. First of all, I love and miss the Big East. 34 NCAA tournament appearances, five Final Four appearances, three appearances in the national title game, including 1996, my senior year. And in 2003, defeated Kansas with Carmelo Anthony to win the national championship. My biggest regret, I worked for MLB that year, and I couldn't take off opening day of the baseball season to go to New Orleans with my fellow classmates. 
He served as an assistant coach during the Summer Olympics for the U.S. men's basketball team in 2008, 2012, and 2016, the FIBA World Championships, 1990, 2006, 2010, and he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in September 2005. It is also a thrill to have Bob Costas on the podcast. Bob is a Syracuse alum. Makes no secret about that. He's a very big supporter of the program. He's been on Sports with Friends before, back on episode 82. So it's been a while. He was with NBC from 1980 through 2019, received 28 Emmy Awards for his work, the primetime host of 12 Olympic Games. He's currently doing MLB on TBS play-by-play, which is why we couldn't have Bob Hahn to talk about this interview beforehand. He also does stuff for MLB Network. Let's listen in as Bob Costas interviews Jim Beheim at Syracuse University. There is no one, regardless of their accomplishments and credentials, more associated with Syracuse University than Jim Beheim. He, more than any single person, is the face of this great university. I think that goes almost without saying. It can't be challenged. And there are many stats. I will not bore you with most of them, but the most significant ones. 47 years as the head coach here, after being a player here alongside the Hall of Famer Dave Bing and an assistant under Roy Danforth when they went to the Final Four in the mid-70s, took Syracuse to five Final Fours himself and, of course, the National Championship in 2003. Here is Jim Beheim. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, this is this is the question in my own little way I got asked. Can you watch this upcoming basketball season and not say, "Wait a minute, Adrian, make this change. Do this, do that." The greatest about my retirement when I it took a little while to get there, maybe too long for some people, but felt right for me. I wanted to have our basketball program in a good position. I remember coming here in 1962, before just about everybody out here was born probably, or close, and Syracuse had lost 29 straight games. If people have kind of forgotten that time. We were against the war memorial in front of a couple hundred people. And I remember coming here and with a great Dave Bang, I had a little tiny part in turning things around. I did take it out of bounds and made sure he had it <laughs> and got out of his way. But, uh, you know, I, I saw that change and what we've been able to do, and I wanted to leave the program in a, in a good position. We have a great coach, Adrian Autry. He has a great staff, and we have some good players. It's going to take time to to make the changes that need to be made but uh, i'm i'm just thrilled to leave the program where it is uh, i think it's in a great position i was by practice yesterday and uh, it's it's kind of nice to kind of come in and watch practice for a little while and then go home 
and talk to some recruits. Uh, they're in a great position, and 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 I'm really uh, grateful that the program is in the hands it's it's in. When you look back on a long career, so many highlights. Um, I'm sure you get this question all the time. Which couple stand out the most? You know, I'll never. I mean, you win the national championship. Is there anything better than that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and. You know, the interesting thing with the national championship, we had a young team, uh, you know, Texas, when we got the Final Four, Texas and, and Kansas were great teams. They, they had great years, and uh, we played our best. We played the best we could play. Um, you know, in the Texas game with what Carmelo did and then Jerry in the first half against Kansas. Kansas was a better team, I think. For those who don't know, Jerry McNamara. Everybody yeah. knows Carmelo <laughs> Anthony, but Jer Jerry McNamara was a clutch shooter. Well, he made, you know, six threes, which had never been done in the first half in any championship game and got us in position, and Carmelo and uh, everybody else got us got us, got us, us the rest of the way. But, I mean, that game, you know, it's some – but I, I still – when I think about games, I still think about the six overtime game uh, in the garden with guys from New York City and Jersey and Connecticut yelling at me after five overtimes. Jim, we need to get the last train. <laughs> and I'm like going, I care. <laughs> you know, stay overnight. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you win that game, you talk about it. Jim Calhoun has never talked about the six overtime game. <laughs> you know, when you talk about Forever Orange, just about everybody in this room understands that. That game was played on my wedding anniversary. And Jim knows the story. And I was in Hawaii and we made a reservation at a restaurant to coincide with the sun setting over the Pacific. But then came the first overtime and the second overtime. I kept calling the restaurant. We'll be there in 20 minutes. The third overtime. By the fifth overtime, we'll catch you another night. Because <laughs> there's no way, even if it was my wedding anniversary, that I was going to miss the end of that game. Just no, just no way at all. And as, as a little bit of an aside, uh, I think it's such a great thing that I can turn on over the years a Syracuse game and Sean McDonough's doing it, or Mike Tirico's doing it, or Dave Pash is doing it, or back in the 80s, Dick Stockton might have been doing it. You know, that that connection really means a lot to us. Well, for me, I should have been nicer to those guys when they were here. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> in, in 03, I'm not around, you know, day to day, but I come back now and then. And after you won the championship in 03, it felt to me like a weight was off your shoulders. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, people say all the time, well, I would have been fine if I didn't win the national. No, I, I wouldn't have been. <laughs> you know, you and, you know, obviously a lot of people think, well, he should have won more. Well, if you can win one national championship, I'm, I'm not greedy. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased that we were able to win one. We, we did come close a couple times, and you obviously like to win another one, but um, to get that one was, was special. And to do it with such a young group, uh, really, we weren't ranked preseason. You know, we struggled a little bit during the season, but uh, these guys just came together at the right time. And, and they had a, a – I mean, we had to beat 
sometimes you can sneak in there and not beat some great teams, but we had to beat a couple great teams. We're down 18 points, 17 points to Oklahoma State in the second game. Um, I mean, it was a, a unbelievable journey, and uh, it was just uh, it's just something you dream of as a coach. And uh, I think something like 45 coaches have won a national championship. It's not a big number. It's pretty hard to do. One of them is Bob Knight. Epic championship game in 87. And that one, you know, they say that it, I'm not the most literate guy, but I remember a line from a poem I read uh, in high school. Of all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. Yeah. You change any one of a half dozen things, you win the game. Well, we were in the position to win the game, and three or four things in a row happened, and we missed an e easy shot. We missed a layup. We missed two free throws. That's sports. Those things happen. Uh, Keith Smart had a game he never had before or after. That happens sometimes, and uh, you come out uh, a little bit short. That was a game that, you know, you should win. You know, you get in that position, you're, you're in there. You, we were big underdogs, but I think at the end we had a better team, and uh, you think about that game. It's ironic that we lost there in 87. He made a shot in the corner, and in 2003 we were in the same building. We had the same host, and they took a shot in the corner. And we blocked it. Yep. So, you know, it's ironic that it came down to that, but it did. And uh, it, I don't think about the Indiana game as much after that. Right. Right. <laughs> 03 put that more in the background than it had been. Yes, no doubt. Carmelo Anthony was here for one year, but you can't understate or overstate, rather, his contribution to the history of Syracuse basketball. No, I mean, he was a great player. And he loved it here. He went to every class. He did all his work. He thought he would be here two years, but, you know, there was no way he was really going to be here two years, especially after we won. But he's given back. He's given back every place he's played. He gave us the money to build the Carmelo Anthony Center, which is all these years later still one of the top basketball facilities in the country. And uh, he continues to come up to support us. And I think he has a relative that's a pretty good player, too. Fill me in. <laughs> well, I don't think you can really talk about recruits. We'll just leave it at that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows. <laughs> More of this incredible conversation between Hall of Fame basketball coach Jim Beheim and legendary sportscaster Bob Costas. It is week five in the National Football League, and there are some games to highlight with the head odds maker at Bovada, Patrick Morrow. Let's take a look at the prime video exclusive game. The Denver Broncos, uh, who can't win to save themselves against the Kansas City Chiefs, the Chiefs just look to be hitting on all cylinders. And remember, the beginning of the season, we talked about the three-headed monster, Kansas City, Cincinnati, and Buffalo. It looks like Kansas City is at the front of that pack. First of all, how, how bad has the Sean Payton experiment been in Denver so far? They they look awful. They have nothing going. It's uh, it, it's an unmitigated disaster there. And they walk into a buzzsaw on Thursday night against the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead. Uh, you know, the Chiefs have kind of looked somewhat uh, disjointed this year. You know, they had the opening uh, week loss to Chris Jones, or sorry, to Detroit Lions because Chris Jones was out. 
Um, they otherwise have had some uh, kind of closer games. You know, Minnesota hung around. The final score appears closer than it was, but I, I think this is an easy breakout game for the Chiefs. You know, the Broncos do not look good offensively. They're a defensive disaster. Uh, no surprise, the total is high in this one at 48. But uh, the Chiefs come into this one as 10.5 point favorites at Bavada. All the money is all over the Chiefs. Um, you know, I know it's an inflated number. 10 points is high in the NFL these days, but I'm, I'm not taking the Broncos in this one. Let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers, the opposite end of the spectrum. They could be a Super Bowl favorite. Uh, they go into Cleveland to take on a Brown squad. And let's face it, you know, Cleveland's no slouch either. Uh, this is an interesting matchup, but San Francisco continues to roll. Yeah, more and more, Seth, uh, and definitely reflected in our futures board right now, uh, San Francisco appears to be the best team in the league, or at least the team playing the best right now. They absolutely rolled over the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night, one of our biggest losses of the year in-house, and uh, it, it doesn't look like they're really going to run into any mu- trouble uh, this week either. They've got uh, you know, a Cleveland Browns team that... You know, they, they've got a pretty good defense. That's the one thing the Browns can speak to right now. Um, you know, I, I think they've got big question marks under center. I don't think Deshaun Watson's even expected to play in this one. So I think folks are going to actually be a little bit surprised to hear that the spread is as low as San Fran minus five. That's right. They're only five point favorites on the road right now at Bavada. And part of the reason for that is the low over under in this one. This is only 38 and a half points. Uh, as you'd expect, uh, a lot, a lot of money on San Fran, our biggest position of the week so far. And, uh, yeah, you know, that Browns defense is going to have to come up big if they're going to keep this one close. And then there's the Cincinnati Bengals who have a home game against Seattle. Uh, it's an intriguing matchup for both teams. Uh, Seattle looks to continue their hot play coming off that Monday night victory and then a bye week. Cincinnati thinks they've righted their ship. They come in two and three, and every game's a must win now for Cincinnati. Seth, you really took the words out of my mouth there. Uh, you know, Cincinnati really for the past few weeks uh, has been in must-win mode, uh, playing Joe Burrow under you know si- somewhat sort of kind of maybe suspect circumstances with him going out there and you know barely winning with uh, you know two-thirds of a leg. But uh, he seems to be in much better shape after this past weekend. The Bengals, regardless of whether they win this one or not, can at least uh, maybe sleep a little bit easier knowing that he is that much more healthier under center. Um, looking at the game itself, uh, the Bengals come into this one as two and a half point home favorites. Uh, the money is split uh, pretty evenly back and forth on this one. Looking at the over under, the game is currently sitting at 46, one of the higher totals of the week. Uh, and that's part and part to the fact that neither of these team, two teams play a lot of defense. Uh, we're looking at about 70% of all money here on the over at Bavada. That is the head odds maker, Patrick Morrow. We return to you now to Syracuse, New York, where I got to see a legendary broadcaster, Bob Costas, interview the Hall of Fame basketball coach, Jim Beheim. Chancellor Severud uh, alluded to the fact that there's a changing landscape yeah. in sports, and it had begun to change dramatically toward the end of your tenure. How do you see things going now? 
Well, you know, the presidents are very smart, and I, we have a great president. But sometimes when they make athletic decisions, like UCLA playing against Rutgers next year um, in women's volleyball or in basketball or in football, I don't think are really good decisions. I think they're temporarily getting more money decisions. I don't think they'll be good in the long run, but conferences are doing this. It's here. Um will still play it'll still work coaches will make it work um but it's crazy i wouldn't be surprised if one of these conferences added panama so they would have complete access to the canal <laughs> i mean it's possible or the rainforests in brazil i mean i don't know where we're going but i think it's here we'll we'll work through it the NIL is more of a present in the transfer portal. It's great for kids to be able to transfer. And if you're not playing a lot, it was a great tool. But, you you know, you didn't do it without thinking about it because you had a city. But now when you're, even when you're playing, if you're not getting enough shots or you didn't like practice, I'm going to go over there and try this. And we have 1,800 kids transfer on basketball this year. Four or 500 didn't get a scholarship because they overestimated, I think, their value. But that's here, too, and NIL is here, and we have to adjust to it. And I have no problem with players getting money. I have trouble with them being employees because they're not. They're 18, 19 years old. But the NIL opportunity was a great idea a great thought if the player could go and sign autographs do camps but it's not that we all know that it's collectives and getting money to you know to get a better team and you have to adjust to it it is what it is and uh, that's the future i don't see it changing um there was some look at Congress to help us, which they can't get a budget passed down there, but they're going to change and help a very difficult landscape in college sports. No, we have to fix it. We have to find a way with the conferences, the presidents, um, to somehow work something out with our athletes that's good for everybody. And uh, I think that's going to take a lot of work a lot of people coming together, and I, I hope that can be done sometime within the next couple of years anyway. Yeah, you want to protect the players' rights, yes. but at the same time, no, with no structure can keep up with that much chaos for too long, and now you have chaos. You have chaos, and... I love my sons. I, they're great. They were great players here, but they didn't. They get us. They had a you know a seventy thousand dollars scholarship. They didn't need a hundred fifty thousand dollars more, or whatever it might be, or more than that in many cases. So yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to figure out how we can do it. I'm not sure that we can. Mm -hmm. I know that I can't, and uh, I'm not sure we have people that can do that. I hope we do. I've talked to some coaches who say, look, they're all for NIL, but their concern is that it would be used in recruiting. Yeah. Once the kid is on campus right. and then opportunities come along, that's fine. But if it's 
either directly or implicitly, you come to our university, we guarantee you'll make a million dollars as a freshman. Right. Well, you don't have to say that. You just point to the quarterback you have, and a recruit will see what his deal is. Mm -hmm. And it's not hard to think, well, that'll be my deal. And uh, same true in basketball, same true in everything. So you don't have to say it. You don't have to promise that. And uh, it's just, it's known that this is what the deal is going to be. You know, you mentioned earlier that uh, some players, when they enter the transfer portal, they overestimate <laughs> their ability. But I've had this conversation with you before. Almost every guy on the team, at least every scholarship guy on the team, thinks they're going to play in the NBA. Well, that's the big difference today. When I played, we were happy to play in college, and we really didn't even think about the NBA. Every player on your team, like we have good players. I, I like our team. I like the guys we have. But, you know, we have 12 scholarship players, and I guarantee you all 12 think there's a way they can find their way into the NBA. And the, obviously maybe one will out of the 12. Uh, that would be about what the odds are. And... You know, but the good news is our players get their degrees. Our players, all of our players can play professional basketball somewhere. It's a myth when the critics say, well, he's not going to play in the NBA. He should just be going to school. No, he's not going to play in the NBA. But my son was a reasonable college player, not great. And he's playing in Germany. And he's playing with guys from one from Lemoyne, one from, uh, Siena College, you know, mm -hmm. playing in Europe. There's nobody realizes this. There's over 1,500 American players playing in Europe. That's not talking about China, Taiwan, Japan, you know, Brazil. Uh, players are playing all over the world. You can play basketball if you want to play. You can be a low-level player and still play basketball. And anybody that plays for us, and play someplace. And they play until, you know, they decide they need to mm -hmm. get a real job. And uh, <laughs> and that comes eventually. I mean, my son is making less money. He had a 3.9 in the business school at Cornell, which I think is pretty good. I used to kid him about it. But he's playing for a lot less money than he'd make at any company that he would work for, but he likes to play. And, uh, you know, who wants to go to work? When you're 25, if you can play basketball, pretty you good. play as long as you can. Yeah, that's what you do. One aspect of your resume that maybe doesn't get enough attention is your involvement in the Olympics and with Mike Shashevsky. You know, that was a great experience. You're coaching the great play, the best players, LeBron, Kobe, um, you know, Kevin Durant, all of them. We had them all, and they were motivated because we had lost when we took over. And so we were able to win all three Olympics and two world championships. And there's nothing better as a coach than to coach the best players. I mean, it's, you know, I remember sitting there watching these guys and Mike and I were sitting there at practice and LeBron does something or Kobe does something and you go, <laughs> you know, look at this. We need to just keep these guys happy. <laughs> it's like in practice you would go nice play LeBron Kobe, great Kobe you know our practice we go what 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 was that 
Is it hard to find something to correct or criticize? Bob Knight always said that when he coached the 84 Olympic team, uh, Michael Jordan had like 24 points at the half and six assists and four steals. And he's reaming everybody out because that's what Bob Knight did. And he looked over at Jordan and he said, Michael, when the hell are you going to set a screen? And and Jordan said, well, coach, maybe I'm setting them so fast you can't see them. (laughs) Michael would have an answer. And nobody else would answer Bob Knight, by the way. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Bob Knight's different. Yeah, he's a great, great coach. And uh, we were playing in Hawaii in the tournament, and he was in the semis. And the room you use is right there, right there. Everybody's right there. So his team didn't play well. He went after his team for, like, 30 minutes. My team was warming up, and he just – you would have thought he was coaching a bunch of guys that could, were in fifth grade that couldn't tie their own shoes. They all single-filedly walked past me, and the two seniors who had heard this thing before winked at me like, <laughs> we've heard this one. And Bob comes storming by me and stops, and he goes, looks, turns around and goes, that was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> I go, yeah, coach, uh, that was good. We beat him the next night. So he took his team. You play in Maui at 8 o'clock. You fly out at 1130. He took his team in their uniforms to the airport on the bus. And they sat in the airport for three hours for the plane. Flew them back to, really into Chicago. Bussed them to Bloomington and practiced at noon when they got there. <laughs> Ooh. I never did that. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that uh, the U.S. had lost in 04 in Athens. Yeah. They're kind of two pivot points. In 88, college players, last time with college players, John Thompson was the coach. They lose in Korea. Never lost a single basketball game in the history and of the Olympics, unless you count the one that was stolen that, in 72 yeah. in Munich. So they'd won every game since 1936. So now it's a, wait a minute, we invented this, we had the best players in the world. So then the dream team comes along, which is one of the highlights in the history of the Olympics. And even the opponents that were getting squashed didn't care because they were on the same floor with Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley and everybody else. And that carried on until 04. And then guys were jacking around that it wasn't just that we lost, it was was a bad vibe. It was bad. It was bad. Jerry Colangelo took over, Mike took over and just changed it. But we had the best players. Now, like this year at the World, we didn't have the best players, our best players, and you're not going to win. If we don't have the best players, the other, the world's pretty good. You know, the most, what at the time was the most outrageous statement ever made by a brilliant guy who made these statements, a guy by the name of Al McGuire. When we went to the Dream Team, he was quoted nationally as saying, they will beat us within 10 years. And everybody just like, you're, yeah, you're, he was a little crazy. You're a little crazy. And he said, no. And it, he was right. It was 100% right. And we have to send our best players, and, and then we, we, we probably will win. But the world's pretty good. Olympic games, different, different styles, different way to play. It's not played like the NBA. And, these guys have been playing together for 10 years, the same guys. Our guys are mm-hmm. pretty much new every year. But if we get the best, then, you know, then we can win. 
We talked about some of the highlights. What's your biggest regret? Losing Sam Perkins. <laughs> I couldn't get out of bed for two days. I thought we we had a good team, and I he was going to go to North Carolina all the way, but we it was early in my coaching career. You could go a lot. I went 27 straight games of his. I drove to Albany after our practice, got there at 8 o'clock, watched him play, drove back, and uh, 27 times. And I kind of had it almost turned around. And I thought we were going to get him. And I learned a lesson. Uh, they closed recruiting for 10 days. You couldn't go to CSAN. And the two people that closed the recruiting were his high school coach and his guardian. And they both wanted to go to North Carolina. So guess what? He went to North Carolina. <laughs> and you think about that team at yeah. North Carolina. Sam Perkins is on that team. Jimmy Black, who played in the NBA. James Worthy is on that well, team. No. And, of course, Michael Jordan. Yeah, I mean, it was a great decision for him. We had a really good team, but we didn't have a, a big guy. We would have been, we were good. We were a tournament team, but we would have, he would have made a big difference. But, you know, that you lose some, you lose recruits and then you get a recruit. You know, uh, my assistant, Troy Weaver, who's now the general manager of the Pistons, came into my office and said, We have to go to Baltimore. We got to look at this kid. He's not on the radar yet, but he's going to be there. He's a top 50 player. I usually don't go out. I went down. I watched this kid. He hit a three. He hit a pull-up, and then he dunked on three people. And uh, my assistant had said, you know, we could win the national championship with this guy. I turned to him. I said, yeah, we can. And it was Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> and uh, we won it. You and Julie uh, are very involved in philanthropic <clears throat> efforts around Syracuse, around the state, <clears throat> and obviously the platform of being the coach at Syracuse University allows you to do that, right. and you and Julie have seized that. Yeah, I mean, you have to have the platform. We we uh, give out grants about $500,000 a year, six hundred, to groups in Syracuse that work with kids, you know, in the city, in the county, and in other cities too. But, you know, I, I'll give you a statistic. We know the city people well. Because of what happened in COVID and kids leaving school, there's 940 kids in Syracuse between 12 and 18 who are living either on a couch or in their car. In Syracuse, 942 kids. And as we have two pretty good boys and girls club that serve about 600 kids. That's all they can do. So who takes care of the other kids? And that's what we've tried to do. We've had a lot of help. And we're going to continue to try to do uh, with our foundation. Uh, if you coaches and athletes give back a lot more than people think, because we see some bad examples in the in the press. But uh, it's it's your mission if you live in a town, whoever you are, to give back to that town. We have a platform, so it's easier for us. But you have to do this. Uh, the university does this. We need to get everybody to give back because we have a problem in our cities. We have for years. It's only getting worse, not getting better. And somehow we have to be able to give back and get these kids out and get them on a path. The charitable causes uh, and whatnot. That's ongoing. But have you given any thought 
to a next chapter beyond <laughs> that. Not that you shouldn't rest on your laurels for a while, but. Well, you know, I did tell somebody I didn't retire until I was 78. How much more have I got to do? Right. <laughs> but, you know, we're going to continue with the foundation. We're going to work with the university. We need to obviously raise money for everything at the university, but particularly for the facilities and the NIL. That's That has to be done. I'm going to do that. I'll be around the country doing that. And I'm going to probably join the media in some form or other, which is really hard to do. But I think <laughs> you're going to do I some figure, games, right? Yeah, I figure if John Thompson could do this, yep. then I could do this. Bob Knight did it, too. And Bob Knight did it. So, yeah, I mean, I'll do some games, hopefully. And, uh, and really, it's kind of necessary the first two months I was home. Julie looked at me and said, you know, I think you need to do something <laughs> that is in that really makes you leave not just the house, but maybe even Syracuse <laughs> for on occasion. You know, I remember being at WAER as a freshman in 1970, and now you go with your little cassette recorder to interview Ben Schwartzwalder. <laughs> and you're shaking like a leaf. Oh, co coach, do you have a chance against Penn State? And sometimes you were tough on the Daily Orange and WAER kids. Sometimes. But I tried to mellow as I got older. I'm not sure it was that successful, but I did try. I did try. As we wrap up here, what does forever orange mean to you? To me, it's, you know, I, I'm from Lions. It's an hour away. I watched Jim Brown play and Ernie Davis. And uh, before I ever got to Syracuse, I remember driving down here to visit. Uh, they brought in seven scholarship freshmen and me <laughs> as a walk-on. But I remember, you know, in 1961 coming here, and I never, ever wanted to leave. I never, when I graduated, I stayed in school. I, somehow they got me through Maxwell. They don't like to admit it. They don't put, like, they don't post me on the Maxwell website or anything. But I did, and, you know, I... I as a great assistant coach and, you know, assistant coach. And I've, I've always felt that Syracuse is the best place. Not just for me. I just think it's the best place. And, uh, you know, I get, I've gotten many derisions for that. I mean, we sat on Horseshoe Beach and Rick Patino, his wife, and my wife. And we said, well, Rick said, well, where would you like to live if you could live any place in the world? And. Joanne said Paris. I think Elaine said San Francisco. And Rick said, uh, I think he said L.A. or something. And I said, I thought about it. I did. I thought about it. I said, Syracuse. And they all got up and walked away. But I, well, it, it, I believe it. I'm still here. I'll never leave. And uh, it's, just, it's just where I belong. There are more questions, but that seems like a note to end on. Thank you all for being here. Thank Jim you. Beheim, folks. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Jim. We're with the best. I don't say this much, but we're, the, we're with the best that ever did it.
what he does. The best. And on that, Jim Beheim and I can truly agree. Great job by Bob Costas. Again, great job by Chris Velarde from the Syracuse Alumni Association for the help with the audio. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Listening to it again was just as good as seeing it originally. Don't forget, you can see these guys in person. November 10th in New York City. The link is in the show notes. Adam Shine will interview Coach Beheim, And then Bob Costas returns November 15th in San Francisco and November 18th in Los Angeles. Bob Costas and Jim Beheim will continue this fantastic discussion. If you have any questions, you can ask me on uh, X, Twitter. <laughs> Somebody told me they call it Twix now. You know, a mixture of Twitter and X. Uh, at Seth underscore Everett. We'll see you next week with another inspiring episode of Sports with Friends. We will be joining a gentleman who was an aspiring athlete and then was in a horrific accident in which he was burned and managed to coach sports, coach lacrosse, and be a motivational speaker. It's a remarkable podcast next week here on Sports with Friends. We'll see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available. For you to see I'm about to go And then you'll know For me to stay I got to be me You'll never be in doubt That's what it's all about You can't take me for granted and smile